the Christian should be easily identifiable by the fruit that they produce. And uh, you have to check, is it, is it rooted? Is it alive? Is it growing? Is it actually bearing fruit? Because um, it's easily to be deceived at a distance, isn't it? Jesus is wrapping up here the most famous sermon ever. He's applying uh, as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, he starts with a warning not to be deceived. And here's what he says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So the heart of this deception, and this is going to sound weird, but but let me just unpack it. The heart of this deception is about being religious. The deception of religion. And Jesus says, don't be deceived by religious leaders just because they're religious leaders, just because they have pastor or rev in front of their name. Many are false teachers. Judge them by their fruit and not by, you know, the metrics of success maybe that you might be tempted to evaluate them by. Are they authentically producing spiritual fruit or are they posers who are simply playing a role. Here's the problem though. We often, um, we don't recognize what good fruit is, right? We don't recognize what the right fruit is. We are culturally conditioned to assess people, including pastors, maybe especially pastors and churches by professional success. You know, how many people attend, how big is their online platform? How much have they achieved? And we, we incorrectly assume that an effective leader, as defined by our culture, must be a godly leader. And, and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps bringing back, us back to these unseen qualities, right? The inner qualities like anger and hypocrisy and generosity and love and lust and honesty and peace And so it's entirely possible to be this celebrated leader with a huge ministry, uh, a huge followership, and be a diseased tree uh, with rotten fruit. It also means that healthy trees with, with good fruit may never achieve the kind of, you know, cultural success that gets all the accolades. So somehow we are called to discern, you know, to identify a person by what is beneath the surface, even, even to look past their talents and their charisma and their right spiritual words. So how are you and I supposed to do that? Do we need some sort of spiritual x-ray vision? I, I mean, the truth is we'll actually get it wrong sometimes. We'll get fooled sometimes. Uh, After all, it's only God who can judge the heart. People uh, that we thought were authentic and trustworthy and spiritual can end up disappointing us. 
And sometimes those we would have pegged as sort of least likely to spiritual succeed um, are the ones who end up bearing the most kingdom fruit, as it were. All I can say is this, if you're going to have any chance of discerning the authenticity of others, it's going to require two things, okay? It's going to require time and proximity, okay? Time and proximity. We can't know trees' identity from a mile away. Um, we have to get close to it, like, the, like that fake fruit. We'd have the opportunity to kind of touch it and smell it and, and feel it. We would have known if it was fake fruit. We have to get close to it. So you won't know by observing someone on a screen or, or their YouTube channel or by reading their books even or by watching them weekly on a platform. You need proximity. You need uh, time. It's why pastors need people who are close to them, who will ask them the tough questions in life. They need people in proximity to discern their fruitfulness or their lack thereof. That's why I'm grateful I was invited into a small group where I was asked not to be Pastor Jonathan and Vicki was not asked to be the pastor's wife. We were asked to be the Ganyus and to be real and to do life together. And it's, it's just something you can't do overnight. It has to be discerned over time. I mean, I am not a a horticulturalist by any means, but I think they would agree. You won't even know a tree's quality until some seasons have passed, right? What is the character of someone in the good times, uh, in the hard times? What are they like when they raise children? It takes time. It takes proximity. And too often we are quick to grant enormous spiritual authority to people we encounter only on screens or podcasts or books. In other words, only at a great distance, another doodle from sky Jatani, you know, the, the stuff on the left from the evangelical industrial complex are things that we value popularity, relevance, but the kingdom of God values generosity, mercy, honesty, gentleness, faithfulness, humility, now, you might know, uh, if you've listened to me long enough, some of my righteous anger, holy discontent about bully pastors, Christian leaders caught in scandal who, who have done great damage, I think, to the kingdom of God, to the reputation of Christ. And that'll be my soapbox for a while. But, but let me give you this morning, if I could, some other examples of these wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus is talking about here. Wolves who use spiritual language, spiritual concepts, but they're really out to confuse our spiritual thinking. And it's insidious and it's dangerous. And part of their effectiveness is actually mixing nuggets of, of truth with outright lies. Let me, let me give you a scenario, an example here. Picture a woman named Trina. She's a 28-year-old Toronto resident. She, she prays nightly. She believes in Jesus. She also chants a mantra. And she goes to Kundalini Yoga. And she believes there is goddess energy in the base of our spine. 
And she believes there is this healing power in crystals. And she says something like, you know, the energy that the crystals hold is part of this universal energy. And it'll increase my own energy when I work with them or even when I get near them. Um, Where is she getting that? Well, from people like Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Neil Donald Walsh, the list goes on. False teachers, friends. Wolves. And according to a recent Pew Research poll, most Americans, and I, I, I can only assume that this would apply very closely to Canadians, most Americans mix traditional faith with beliefs in psychics, reincarnation, spiritual energy that can be found in, in physical objects such as trees and crystals and mountains. You know, in Bible college, I, I took this course on missions and I learned about the concept of um, syncretism. Syncretism. This is where you kind of treat religion like a smorgasbord. You amalgamate these different faiths and practices and rituals and, and it's all sort of mashed up into a weird like Heinz 57 mashup, right? And I remember it being mostly in the context of unreached tribes, you know, the, the kind of uncivilized developing nation groups who sort of piece together a bit of their, their tribal rituals and mixed with some missionary teaching and mixed with some superstition. Well, guess what? It turns out us educated, wealthy, westernized countries might be the most synchronistic. A staggering 41% of Americans believe in psychics, 42% believe spiritual energy can be located in physical objects. Why are so many into this? Because people genuinely don't know the difference between authentic spirituality and the world of the occult. They don't know good fruit from fake fruit. And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say the occult either. Here's some classic telltale marks of the occult. First, the disclosure of communication of unknown information unavailable to humans through normal means. What do I mean by that? Well, things like horoscopes, fortune tellers, um, psychics, tarot cards, Ouija boards. That knowledge, if it is in fact even knowledge at all, comes from somewhere other than God, folks. And, it's, and if it's not from God through the sources that God has ordained, then I hate to tell you this, but it's from the evil one. There is no neutral or impersonal power that's just sort of floating around out there, some sort of cosmic consciousness for our secret knowledge that we can just tap into. And the Bible could not be more clear on this. Listen to this from the prophet Isaiah. Disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. Keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries. Let your astrologers come forward. Those stargazers who make predictions month by month. They are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves. Each of them goes on in his error. And then 
Continuing on in Zechariah, diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Again in Isaiah, I am the Lord, the creator of all things. I alone stretch out the heavens. I make fools of fortune tellers and frustrate the predictions of astrologers. You know, another mark of the occult is attempting contact with the dead um, or paranormal energies or demonic forces. You know, if you hear a phrase like a spiritual energy in crystals or, or attempting to summon up a spirit or a deceased relative, have you heard of that through, through a seance or, or procuring the services of someone claiming to be a medium? I am, I am begging you run do not walk away from that sort of encounter or experience again here's what the bible would say to that in deuteronomy let no one be found among you who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead anyone who does these things is detestable to the lord when men tell you to consult mediums isaiah says and spiritists who whisper and mutter Should not a people inquire of their God? So what is happening when you get in touch with a ghost? Well, it's not a ghost, first of all. Um, Well, then what happens when at a seance, you know, Uncle Gerald uh, suddenly seems to be talking to you through a medium? Folks, you're either being tricked, you know, and really there are a lot of flat out, scams and grifts with this sort of thing, or you are in contact with a demon impersonating who you had hoped to connect with. So the first scenario makes you out to be a fool, but the second scenario is just nightmarish. It, it has you consorting with demons. Again, here's, here's what the Bible would say. So do not listen to your diviners, your mediums, they prophesy lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name, Jeremiah says. A third mark of the occult is any attempt to gain and master paranormal power in order to um, manipulate or influence other people. In other words, all forms of witchcraft, uh, the casting of spells, um, being clear on this, you know, is, is important today because there is a rise of what I'll call modern witchcraft. It goes by the name Wicca. And I, I reading about it recently, there's this extraordinary rise of it in North America. Um, some see it as empowering to young women in particular. Young lady today, Uh, Would you find your identity in Jesus? Who, by the way, is all about strong, confident, empowered women. Okay? He is pro-woman. So so this is such serious stuff, folks. And there are false teachers, wolves dressed as sheep, who would try to pass off occultic teachings as something good or even benign, um, but it's not the true map of the supernatural world. Here's the true map. On the one side, you have God and his angels, 
okay? On the other side, the world of the paranormal, the occult, and that's the world of Satan and his demons, okay? These are the only two worlds. These are the only two spiritual forces. There is no Sweden of spiritual forces, some neutral spiritual force out there, okay? One of the sides is good. The other is evil. One has your, your best in, in mind. One wants your destruction. And the evil side wants you to see them as benign or even good, beneficial. And Satan positions himself as an angel of light, the Bible says. You cannot blend, you know, psychics and your Christian faith. You cannot blend the secret and the Holy Spirit. Um, you cannot serve two masters. You'll end up loving the one and hating the other. And, and when we blend like that, whether we are aware of it or not, we are engaging in the forces of darkness. We are connecting with Satan and his demons. We are opening up the door of our life to his presence and activity. And they love that invitation. They love that invitation. It's more, it's more than playing with fire, folks. It is dousing yourself with gasoline and striking a match. But the deception of religion, it cuts another way, okay? And it has another side to this coin, and, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the other side. Jesus is warning about religion and its leaders, about false teachers. He's also warning about false followers here, Okay, because it's just as easy for us to fall into a religious life that that's nothing more than posturing or or posing, um, which is the other way that this deception plays out when we play this religion game. Right. Acting out a certain set of actions in order to be thought of as spiritual, but it's not real. Know us by the T-shirts that we wear. No, there's this old story, this old joke about a guy who he's desperate for a job. Right? He looked everywhere and he finally sees a help wanted sign at the at the zoo. And the warden explains that the zoos in tough times, um, their gorilla had died, and so this job involves him putting on a gorilla suit and pretending to be the new one. And they'll pay him to dress up and act like the gorilla. And he's desperate. So he takes the job. And it starts off a little awkward, right? And a little stiff. I mean, he's in a gorilla suit, for goodness sake. But every day, he gets, he gets more used to it. He kind of gets into it, actually. He starts to kind of enjoy the crowds that are, that are forming. He puts on a bit of a performance, you know, walking back and forth, swinging on the vine and just sort of hamming it up. Crowds love it. One day he hams it up a little too much and uh, swings on a vine so hard. He ends up in the cage next to him, the lion's cage. And he freaks out. He starts screaming bloody murder. He forgets, you know, he forgets his act and everything. And he's just, ah, get me out of here. Get me out. At which point the lion says, will you shut up, idiot? You'll get us both fired. (laughs) That joke would have killed if this place was filled. 
Listen, we can turn everything into a religious zoo where we're all wearing a costume, where we're all wearing a mask. Um, We put on this phony baloney mask as though it were a mark of authentic Christianity. Uh, You know, if, if you were driving through the, the hate Asbury district of San Francisco during the summer of love in 1967, Jessica, why don't you just put that picture up? Yeah. And you pulled next to a stoplight and there was a VW van plastered with peace signs and it was driven by this long haired tie dyed pot smoker. You would know that you have encountered a hippie. Scotty knows. Scotty really knows. And if you were back in the 80s and you came across a BMW driven by some Gucci shoed wearing Rolex, moused, moused hair, moused hair, a shiny suit, uh, he looks like Gordon Gecko, you would know you had spotted a yuppie. Yes. And today, if you come across some dude in boots and overalls and he's chewing tobacco and is staying down his beard and he's got missing teeth and he's scratching flea bites, you'd know you'd spotted a Montreal Canadiens fan, right? No. Folks, I'm still hurting after last night. That's no, but we all can put on the spiritual costume, right? And we listen to Christian radio and we talk with Christianese buzzwords and we wear certain Christian messages on our ball caps. I do it too. I like my, my worship WRSHP ball cap. We participate in religious activities and we think we're being spiritual or we're engaging. We think we're engaging in a personal relationship with God, but we don't know the difference between what we do and who we are. There is a, there's a pressure in a lot of Christian circles. Maybe you feel it to appear godly. So, so what that does is it trains us to focus almost exclusively on the visible, the public expressions of, of our faith. And I'm in this section now in my memorization of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter six, over and over, Jesus says, those who do acts of goodness to be seen by others, that that's their, their only reward. The fact that you were seen by others, I hope you were happy with that reward because that's all you're getting. Meanwhile, your father who sees what is done in secret will give you a true and lasting reward. And maybe some of you today are worried about displaying the right behavior, wearing the right symbols of Christianity. Folks, it's fake fruit. It is. If you somehow, um, maybe you're watching today, my friend, and you got tricked into this. You, uh, you had somebody tell you, you got to listen to this podcast or watch this. And you're like, ugh, I hate religion. Can I tell you something? Jesus hated religion. Jesus didn't come to earth, suffer and die, sacrifice for religion, but for a relationship. 
that actually will begin to transform you from the inside out. Religion is dead, it's lifeless, it's empty. It makes life with God all about the doing instead of the being. Because you can set up your checklists and your rules and, and um, check them off and have no intimacy, have no transformation, no connection with God. That's the deception of religion. And it's not just outward practices, by the way. It can be head knowledge. I don't know. I've talked to some people who have so much knowledge. They're very proud of it. They know their Bible inside and out, certainly better than than me. But here's what they do. They take their Bible and it's all going in here. And what it should be doing is going in here, right? Right? transforming their character, their actions, their heart. You can have a lot of religious knowledge, religious education, religious learning, but not an authentic relationship with God. Real fruit. It's such a a deadly deception that the Bible, you know, dismantles every chance it gets. Listen, Listen to how James takes it on. He says, do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful. That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Okay, Jonathan, tell us what to do. I I want to be a good fruit bearing tree. What are the steps here? Okay, give me the checklist. What does the discipleship pipeline look like? Uh, that's what we do, right? That's how we think of everything. We, it's, it's, a, it's a something we produce, don't we? Just put up that, uh, this is another doodle from Sky Jatani. The evangelical industrial complex thinks it manufactures disciples. You know, it's some sort of recipe. It's some sort of formula. It's some sort of five-step process. But here's the thing. A good tree will produce good fruit. A bad tree will produce bad fruit. An apple tree cannot produce apricots. An orange tree cannot produce kumquats, right? No amount of knowledge or willpower or effort can change what a fruit, what a, what a, what a tree produces it. It's inherently in the tree's identity. Fruit just happens. And this is just so perplexing to Christians in a self improvement culture. When we read that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Often our first thought is, okay, let's find a program that will produce that in us. When in fact, the answer is that we simply need to be rooted in God. Jesus in in John 15, he narrows it down to one word. And I personally find the old timey King James version word, just the best. It's an evocative word. Abide. Abide. Here's what he says in John. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
folks, I, uh, I was part of this arrow leadership uh, training, mentoring years ago. Profound a uh, couple years in my life where it wasn't just sort of leadership principles. It was, it was mentoring. And um, I remember I, I came to there having spent years having a recurring dream. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like every night it was a variation of the same dream. Maybe I told you this before, but it was a dream where I was in front of a large group of people. Sometimes a stadium. Sometimes I was with you too. That tells you a little bit about, you know, my idols and uh, age group. And I was all, it always worked out the same way. Or I was in a, a large church, like a Willow Creek. And here's what would happen. I was about to preach in my dream and I couldn't find my notes and the mic wasn't working. Or I'd be on stage in this large concert and the, the amp was unplugged. Every situation was like a large platform, a lot of influence, and everything went wrong. It was incredibly stressful. Maybe you've had dreams like this. And I told, um, almost jokingly, because I I wasn't sure if I even took dreams that seriously, uh, my mentors about this. And they said, Jonathan, um, I wonder if you need to focus less on producing a product in your ministry and more about just bearing fruit. Stop producing a product and just bear fruit. Abide with the Father and let Him produce fruit in you. Do you know what? Those dreams stopped that night. And I haven't had them again. Coinkydink? I don't think so. I'm still learning this. I haven't got it figured out. But that was a huge step for me in learning what it means to abide and let Jesus in me produce fruit instead of trying to achieve and do and and produce it like some evangelical industrial complex. Can I encourage you today, Christian, to abide with Jesus. Be rooted in God. Trust in Him. Put your faith in Him. Stop trying to act like a Christian. And just in your relationship with Jesus, you will produce real, authentic fruit. May it be so. And uh, that's my desire for our church, that we would bear good fruit. We don't need that fakey fake t-shirt fruit. Um, Bear good fruit this week, would you? You don't have to try to do it. It comes from a relationship that's rooted in God. I want to thank you for joining us for church and uh, watching church. It's good to be able to do that. But more than that, will you go now and be the church? Your love people. God bless you.